Welcome to episode 56 of This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. We'd love for you to join us at the next Young Clergy Conference. It's YCC East, and we're coming to Baltimore, Maryland, September 28th through 30th, 2018. You can check out the FAQs at youngclergycon.com, or you can just go grab your ticket at yccease.eventbrite.com. Today on the podcast, we have Andrea Garcia, worship pastor over at Nashville First Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for all you do for young pastors, and thanks for tuning in. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bowler-Jack, and I'm here with my guest, Andrea Garcia. She's the worship pastor over at Nashville First Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So exciting yeah. to be here. <laughs> thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Um, so the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, um, I guess it's in my blood. I am fourth generation Nazarene. and oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, my actually fourth generation pastor in the Church of the Nazarene, because on my mom's side, her grandfather was a pastor, and then um, her dad was a pastor, and then my dad is a pastor. And then, of course, on my dad's side, um, uh, his dad was a pastor, and then he was a pastor, and then um, I guess they've passed on that heritage to me. <laughs> wow. Yep. So, so yeah, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. You know, my dad's a Nazarene pastor in Florida and at Plant City Church of the Nazarene. And, um, you know, just kind of a, the typical pastor's kid experience. You know, you're in the church uh, 24-7, it feels like sometimes, hmm. uh, seeing all of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I, I grew up, you know, watching not just, um, you know, services, but how the services would happen, you know, mm. seeing dad wrestling with what he's going to be preaching that week and asking, you know, just family questions every so often. And, um, my mom kind of thinking through like, okay, well, this is kind of a church event we're doing and mm. how do we want the details to work out and, and kind of seeing the vision as it's being cast for um the communities that they were serving so yeah. I, yeah I feel kind of privileged to be able um to have seen that growing up I think also there's a bad side to it because you also see the uh, dark side so to speak of ministry a lot more clearly mm. and uh and so at for a long time I had not considered that I could be a pastor mm. um because it was just so difficult looking and, um, and a lot of sacrifices, you know, that I saw my parents make for, um, their heart for ministry. And I can look back and, and, uh, appreciate that more now, I think, than I could even as a child, um, yeah. growing up. But I, um, yeah, I, I think also, I didn't really ever see women serving in kind of leadership roles in mm -hmm. churches, um, whether it be in our, in our like specific kind of 
context or even in like larger Nazarene district context. Yeah. And so I think that also played into a not really thinking I could be a pastor, you know? Mm. Um, I thought, you know, maybe I could be a pastor's wife. I could be actively involved in church. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think some things, I guess milestones for me, um, the first milestone was when I had a true encounter with Jesus, um, ninth grade of high school. So I guess I was 14 and, you know, I grew up in the church. And so in a lot of ways, you kind of just assume faith. Yeah. But that encounter made faith my own. Hmm. And, um, I was at a youth event and the uh, speaker was talking about how um, there are, there is a temptation sometimes to live with one foot on one side and one foot on the other. Like we are half in and half out Um, kind of talking about a sense of cultural Christianity, Mm. you know, are you just faking it basically, you know, cause that's what you're supposed to do. And that really resonated with me because I grew up in the church. I knew what you're supposed to do. I knew all the do's and don'ts, but I, I knew also that I didn't really have a profound connection with Jesus Christ. And, and so I, I went down to the altar. I was like, well, okay, I'll just, I'll just try this thing. And, and I just immediately, um, like the tears started streaming down my face and, and it was like this realization, like he is real. Hmm. And, um, and, and you know how you hear in those songs, um, of like the chains kind of being broken and lifted. Um, it was literally felt like that for me. It was Hmm. the weirdest thing. And so I thought, wow, like, I love this God. This is awesome. And I went through this profound personality change almost. Yeah. Um, where I, I wrote down my, like my testimony on a piece of paper. Um, and then I was like shoving it in people's faces everywhere at school. Um, I was just really on fire, you know, and, and I was spending all of this time reading scripture and, Mm. and digging into like, what do I believe now that, that I've had this encounter with God, Um, and it felt like God was really revealing himself to me in new ways. And, um, it kind of just started like a new journey, so to speak. Um, Mm. it was soon after that, that I felt God asking me to bring my guitar to school. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just started to learn acoustic guitar and, um, and, uh, I loved it. I'd always been really interested in music. Um, but it was kind of a new thing I was getting into. I was starting to write songs. The first song I ever wrote, oh my goodness, it was so bad. But it was so fun. It, it was basically my testimony story. And, uh, and I brought my guitar to school. I thought, okay, this is weird. I'm going to do it though. So I had no idea why I was bringing my guitar to school, but I brought it to school. And I thought, you know what, since I have my guitar here and I have a couple of their friends over here and we're just kind of waiting around until our first class starts, 
let's go ahead and, and have some sort of small Bible study time. Mm. And, uh, and so, so that started a Monday morning weekly kind of, I don't even remember what we called it. If it was like a, a devotional, um, kind of thing. And, and it kind of grew, like we had, it never got super big, sort of, I mean, it, um, but, but it became this kind of, this like little group that actually continued even after I left and graduated. Mm. Um, and we would just go, we would talk about scriptures together. We would sing a few songs together. Um, and, uh, and I found a lot of life in that and a lot of passion and it led to other things that I led at our school and, um, quickly, uh, received a a really interesting, um, (laughs) uh, what's the word? Um, uh, you know what, uh, when people have perceptions of you anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah, the school, the school, I was like the weird Christian person. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Um, and, and our, I went to a public school and, and it was a really interesting time because our school was not, um, in general Christian. And and actually there's a lot of anti-Christian feelings Mm. going on. And it's weird because I don't even know to this day why, like, because my sisters had a totally different experience at that same high school. Hmm. But, um, but I remember like my teachers just being so antagonistic. Um, they would ask us, you know, questions about like, why do you believe in God? And, and if, how on earth can there be a being that can create a rock that's too big to carry, you know, that he can, you know, I don't know, just crazy stuff. And, um, and, and just remember like all, just feeling all of the anti Christian Christianness from from my classmates. I remember having this conversation with this one guy who's who's a proclaimed atheist, and he was just ragging on me, and and um, and I was like, well, listen, what do you think the purpose of life is? And he looked at me, and he was like, well, it's it's to enjoy life, and you know have the best time that you can because it's fleeting, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I looked at him, I was like, well, is that it? And he was like, yeah, well, yeah, because that's all you can do is you're just enjoying life. And I kept pushing him and I could tell I'd hurt, hit a nerve. And the next day he came back and he said to me, he's like, well, you know what? I've decided that I'm an agnostic now. <laughs> <laughs> And I just thought that was so interesting, but I, and looking back, I can see Mm -hmm. how all of those, um, experiences shaped me because when it wasn't cool to be a Christian, it kind of really forces you to know who you are and what you believe. Yeah. And, um, and also, I think it gave me a, an interesting lens into um, what, into this bridge between a very Christian world and then a very secular world. Mm. 
um, because I, you know, I, I worked a part-time job at this little ice cream shop called Twisty Treat Mm -hmm. and some of the worst, like most broken people (laughs) Mm. I worked with in that shop. And I mean, um, I heard things that I had never even thought could be possible, um, from these other, like, they were all a little bit older than me. Um, Mm. and just, you know, they would ask me questions like, well, why do you believe in the Bible? And, um, and just feeling like so out of place so often and in as they're wrestling with drug addiction and with, um, anger issues, this one girl, she punched a hole through the window and then lied about it. Oof. And yeah, I mean, just crazy stuff. I look back on that now. It, the first time I realized that my experience wasn't necessarily a normal one was when I went to Trevecca, Nazarene University. I graduated, I went to Trevecca, and we sat in class, and in my very first class, the professor asked if we could pray over that semester. And I can't tell you how shocked I was sitting there and looking around and everyone's just obediently bowing their head. And I was like, what? You can pray in class. This is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and just how, like, how blessed I felt to be in an environment like that. And Mm -hmm. also how much of a culture shock it was a little bit too at first. Um, because, because now Christianity was just accepted. Mm. And so, um, and so, yeah, just, it was a, it was a wonderful time again of growth. I originally went to Trebekah for a commercial music degree Mm. because I was so interested in music and, um, in songwriting. Um, but I, I, uh, tried out for PR there, a public relations, you know, music group. Mm -hmm. And I got in, um, which I think was a miracle in and of itself. Um, but I think, you know, God knows what he's doing. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that began, that was kind of another milestone moment for me because as we would travel every weekend and basically minister to churches through music, it, um, it developed this love and this passion for ministry in me that Mm. I didn't even realize that I had. Um, And so I ended up switching my major to worship arts, Mm. which had just been formed. It didn't even exist until my sophomore year at Trevecca. And um, I switched over to that because I thought, well, I really feel this sense of calling to serve the church. And I guess I'll go back to, there was a moment that I had in high school as well when I was with my parents at a district assembly. Hmm. And um, it was, you know, just kind of the opening service. And I'd been at a thousand of those. So it it wasn't anything particularly different about this one, but we were sitting up in the balcony and I was looking out, you know, you you had this I had this big perspective of all the people kind of gather all these pastors and ministry leaders and, and what they're all joyfully giving, um, 
themselves to God through song. And I, I felt God kind of impressing on me, Andrea, feed my sheep. Mm. And, and that always stuck with me because I, you know, I didn't really understand what, understood what that meant at the time. Sure. So I was looking out and I was watching these people just worshiping God and, and, um, and being encouraged in their faith and edified and, you know, all that stuff. Mm. And, and it was kind of just beautiful to behold. And then hearing God's kind of still small voice, feed my sheep and mm. just kind of that calling, um, of I've, there is work for you to do in, in edifying the believers. So, yeah, so I, I was, um, I found myself traveling every weekend for three years at Trevecca while I was studying, uh, basically music as well as, as religion, because Mm. the worship arts program is kind of a mix of both. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was just soaking it in and I, I began to really consider, all right, am I somebody that God could actually call to be a pastor? Um, and that was something that I wrestled with for quite a while. Um, at first I was like, well, I'll be a song leader. I'll be a worship leader, you know, um, and I'll do that part time or something for a church and, and I'll, I'll kind of figure out another way to earn an income or, um, but it just became more and more clear as time went on. It wasn't anything that was like a major lightning bolt moment, but mm-hmm. it was just steadily over time. I just fell in love with leading worship and leading God's people and pouring into people. And um, so fast forward, I I graduated from Trevecca with a worship arts degree. Mm-hmm. And um, I... I was kind of in this limbo of, all right, what's next? And yeah. started interviewing with some different churches. Um, and I, the, when I got the call um, from David Deal, who is the head of the music department at Trevecca, and also was currently kind of um, serving part-time as worship pastor at National First Church of the Nazarene, I got a call, you know, just say from him saying, Hey, we're looking to hire someone part-time, um, to kind of help us with, uh, with leading worship for, uh, I guess a new contemporary service. Mm. And, um, and we'd love to, to see if you'd be a good fit for that. And I thought, well, I mean, okay, I'll come and interview. (laughs) I I didn't feel particularly interested to be honest. Mm. Um, because there was other churches I was interviewing who were smaller. Um, you know, it just, it's mentor people in my life were kind of pushing me into those directions. Mm. And, um, uh, so I, yeah, I went ahead and I, I visited, um, with Corey who I'd met at Trevecca, who's now my husband and we were, we were about to get married in like a month. Oh, wow. Um, and so we were trying to figure out, yeah, what does this look like for both of us? And, mm-hmm. and um, we were sitting in the, in the church. First of all, it was overwhelming how giant the church was because we, I've always grown up in small churches and so is Corey. 
Mm. And, um, and so that was kind of just the building itself was kind of, um, off putting. (laughs) And then all of the people were so perfect. Mm. And so, um, you know, and all these things are just perspectives, you know, you don't really know. It's just the, the impressions that you get when you're first in those moments. And, and I just, we walked away from that experience and think, and we had, we both said two things to each other almost simultaneously. Um, the first thing was, wow, we really don't fit. (laughs) Mm. We don't feel like, you know, like we're normal here. And then number two, God's calling us here. Oh, wow. And it was just, yeah, it was kind of this crazy, like, we just both knew, like, this is, this is where God's calling us, even though we don't have any logical reasoning. Um, and, uh, and so I, I took um, the part-time position, kind of started getting invested, and, and immediately began falling in love with the people. Mm. Um, just some beautiful, beautiful people. And, and my husband and I just kind of jumped in um, just all the way. We found a lot of life getting involved in um, Emmaus, which is their Sunday night service mm. um, and community for the homeless community. Mm-hmm. And we serve a meal. Um, Eric Paul was the pastor of that community at the time. And oh my goodness, we had the most awesome conversations with him and joy all the time um, mm. of just both feeling these um, these passions for for what the church could be yeah and um, yeah and and being um, God's hands and feet in the world and feeling mm. um, a passion for um, social change and not just individual change. I think both are important for a church community um, to be aware of and to be invested in. Um, You know, a lot of people use language like social justice. Justice, I feel like gets a little bit of a bad rep sometimes. So, (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think God, God cares about all of it. And, and so if it's, if it's, um, serving a meal to the, um, to the people who are particularly beaten down and broken. Mm. Um, I think that is really important. Um, equally as important as, as, um, having, um, mentoring opportunities for single moms or for couples going through marital issues or, you know, all of the above. I, I think, I think God's heart is in those things and in binding up the brokenhearted and, um, uh, declaring hope into hopeless situations. Mm. So I, I have just, I have been amazed at how I've seen God at work in this place and, and how I've been able to be a part of it. Um, I have become increasingly aware of the drawbacks of my gender. (laughs) Mm. 
Um, d- dig that up. Tell me about that. What do you mean by that? Oh, <clears throat> well, I, you know, I was, there had never been a woman in a position like mine at our church. Mm. I think it was one thing whenever I was kind of an associate role, helping lead a side little church plant start thing that they were, they were starting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, things kind of went really well for about a year and David Deal, uh, who was the worship pastor at the time, decided that he needed to step down because he, he just had his hands full with trying mm-hmm. to do all that he was doing full-time at Trevecca as mm-hmm. well as the needs of the church. And so they asked if I would um, step up in uh, an interim role as the worship pastor at the church um, because I was familiar with kind of a lot of the inner workings up to that point. Um, sure. And all of that. And so I agreed and, um, and it, I guess it went well enough that after about four or five months, um, I was approached with, would you like to just make this official? Mm. And, um, and I was kind of really blown away by that. Um, cause I know that a lot of different names have been considered. They're processing through what next mm. steps needed to be. Um, but I, you know, agreed and I thought, you know, all right, well, it's going, I, I'm enjoying it. So I'll just, I'll keep doing the best that I can. And I was also learning so much. I, I had to do kind of a crash course in, um, conducting because I had never led a choir or an orchestra before my Mm -hmm. main experience had just been with with working with worship team bands sure and and, um and so there was just a lot of kind of just growing and developing I there's a lot of mistakes (laughs) Mm. that I made um up front um but I think it was I knew it was really difficult culture change for the church to have a woman pastor in that kind of role. I, I felt it every time I would come up onto the platform. Mm. Um, and I heard it <laughs> from different places. You know, you kind of get things from, from the grapevine. Mm. Uh, I, one of the hardest challenges I think initially was uh people's critiques of my appearance oh my um yeah i um i just i you know there was just there was some times where i would just feel so hurt like like why did you care about what kind of dress i wore you know like we were there to worship god and but i think it was just all culture shock you know that people were trying to grapple with there is a different kind of person on our platform Mm. and how does that work and can we trust this person Mm. and um and I just tried so hard to be as faithful as I could through um through all those things I there's a lot of times where I would keep my mouth shut (laughs) when I would want to say some things and then there were times where I would say something, but I would try to always say it in the sense of love and encouragement mm-hmm. and, um, and understanding, you know, that, that it's not an us and them kind of thing. It, it's us together. 
Um, you're trying to get used to me. I'm trying to get used to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know that I'm not what you've always, um, envisioned in this kind of role. And, um, I promise that I'm not gonna, you know, hurt you (laughs) or at least I'm going to try not to. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. And just trying to always bring grace to the table, uh, Mm -hmm. and go the extra mile, um, towards, our people. Mm. Um, you know, it's not everyone, but it was, a, it's, pre, it was a pretty large, and I still have, you know, there's still some that struggle. Um, but, but I also really appreciated that my pastor fought for me, mm. um, as hard as he did. Oh my goodness. Um, I don't think I would have survived without mm. that, um, that kind of, um, encouragement from him publicly and privately. Mm. Um, like he, he would really put himself out there, um, in support of me and to, to sometimes his detriment. And, uh, and I will never be able to tell him how much I appreciate, like (laughs) how he invested in me when he didn't have to. Mm, Wow. That's, um, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, I mean, just little simple things like one time we were both on the platform because I was about to lead a closing song and we had a guest speaker that day that was preaching and pastor had come up because he was going to kind of close out in the closing prayer as well. So we were both up there kind of off to the side and my pastor um, stepped back and stood next to me Hmm. like an equal instead of kind of standing kind of in front of me, Mm. which is what I expected. Mm. And I mean, that small little thing, I can't, it's just hard to put into words how much that means to someone. When you realize like my pastor respects me and he sees me as an as a peer in ministry, like we are working together, um, for the kingdom of God. And, um, and just, and he didn't have to say a word, you know, it was just that simple act. And I, I almost started crying right there on the stage. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) Because I thought he doesn't even realize what he just said right there, you know, not just in private, it was in front of the whole congregation. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, if I can give one piece of encouragement to other pastors who are in a position like my pastors, like, please do that kind of thing for, for your, um, your fellow young leaders. Because I think the other part that was difficult for our congregation was how young I was. Mm. I was, um, let's see, I've been in this for six years. I was 23 years old mm. whenever I became the f- the full-time worship pastor. Wow. And that was real hard for some people to chew, even more so sometimes than my gender. Mm. And um, I had this really great conversation with one of the elders in our, in our church, just long, long-time faithful person who's really been well-respected across the dom- denomination, where he was kind of giving me some, some, uh, some of his perspectives about you know, it'd be great if we were a little bit more blended. Um, and, you know, just kind of sharing 
um, you know, having the platform that he could tell me honestly uh, where he struggles with the things that we do in our, in our services. Mm. And, and he's trying to be so careful, you know, and so polite and all that stuff. And, and I, you know, I'm listening to him. I'm trying to encourage him that I am hearing him and it, you know, it's a safe, it's safe for him to say how he really feels to Mm -hmm. me. I think that's important. Um, and, um, and then I kind of looked at him and I said, you know, I, I so agree with you. I think it's so good to have, um, our tradition as a part of our services. And I've tried so hard to really put myself out of my comfort zone Mm. to be able to minister in, in some of those styles. But I also have to, I've had to recognize that I'm limited in how far I can go because I didn't grow up in those eras. Um, I don't, I don't have um, even some of the, I mean, I just, I just can't morph myself into a middle-aged man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's just, there's just so many things that I can only go so far um, to be able to reach culturally. Mm. And so as I'm reaching out to our people and trying, you know, pushing past my comfort zone, I've never done some of the songs that we are doing and that we have, you know, intentionally poured ourselves into with our choir and orchestra. Mm. Um, But but doing it in love and in and, and ministry to our people. And then I also looked at him and I said, but it can be so hard sometimes to feel like, um, like I'm the one doing the work to go mm. to our people when there's, if there's not a sense in which they're wanting to come anywhere towards my direction either. Mm. And I felt like that was a really helpful conversation because he kind of just looked at me and, uh, and he kind of nodded his head and he said, I think I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, you know, cause it's always gotta be a give and take and it's, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to just be styles and worship. Um, we're all going to be bringing our differences together as the people of God and, at some level, we have to be able to recognize the value in people that think and see things differently. Um, and then look, see how we can learn from each other. I feel like I've learned so much um, from the saints in our church. And I think there's ways in which they're hopefully learning from me too. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had this really wonderful moment happen where uh, one of our uh, one of kind of a respected leader in our church came up. He's kind of congratulating me because uh, I had just become ordained this year. And, um, and he looked at me as he's shaking my hand and he said, you know, uh, a male pastor in a role like yours, there's a lot of work that he has to do to bring about change. A woman pastor, she just has to stay. <laughs> Oh, wow. And I just, oh my goodness, I totally resonated with what he was saying. 
um, at that moment and, and just feeling like, yes, you are so right. Mm. There is a sense in which just me being here and, and, and kind of just trying to be a faithful presence Mm. is already making a, a great amount of change, um, for our people and understanding what it is to see people that are different and to see God in that. And, you know, another thing that's really shaped me about being part of um, this particular community is the global perspective mm. of the Church of the Nazarene. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just had a huge emphasis on supporting mission mm-hmm. um, and, and missionaries around the world. And um, like there's currently, I think, five or is it four different missionaries that we're supporting oh, wow. um, through Faith Promise and as well as the you know World Evangelism Fund. And we kind of do a big thing about that every year. And I uh, I grew up in a, in kind of more small town feels, mm-hmm. like you know smaller towns, smaller churches. Everybody knows everybody, you know all that stuff. And there's so many important, um, there's, there's great important value to that. Coming to kind of a big church, there's, there's a new perspective that I learned. And that is to care for, for the unreachable, like mm-hmm. the untouchable things. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously you're not going to be able to develop like, first name basis relationship with maybe people in Haiti that Mm. you've kind of been investing in over several years, building some wells, you're connected to some specific leaders that are doing some great things there. Um, So it's hard, you know, it's just a different thing to, to create a compassionate muscle for things that are a little bit farther out. Yeah. And so I feel like I've just been so discipled in that way at our church um, in having more of a global perspective. Mm. Um, and, and also I think um, learning how that translates socially uh, to our community, that's something that our church is really working on right now mm. um, because they've been so good at the global picture and now, all right, so what does that mean for our city, you know, the city of Nashville. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and we, through God's providence, um, we had a group of Haitian, um, immigrant people that wanted to meet and worship at the church and kind of joined the church. Mm. And, um, and so there was already a Haitian Creole service as well as, um, kind of now we we had started the the kind of this new church plant service um as well as as the long-standing kind of um tradition service of the church and then the Emmaus community service that was happening on Sunday nights mm-hmm. um and then we had a group of Africans um that started coming to the to our traditional service worshiping with us and then asked if they could start their own service um Mm. and become nazarenes wow um they're all primarily refugees from congo um and 
they so they worship in Swahili and um and that was a a beautiful thing to to watch that unfold um and now there's um a kind of a new like hispanic um startup that's happening <laughs> and uh through this wonderful woman um who's also sensing a call in her life maybe into ministry and kind of still developing what that looks like and so there's a handful they they worship together in spanish mm. um and wow. so and through all of these oh, it's crazy because i now i've been you know interacting in small ways with all of these different leaders that come from completely different backgrounds different languages different cultures the most stark of which is with our african refugee friends and um and learning learning how god is faithful in it all um and it's not it doesn't look the same <laughs> yeah um we had a, a we've now had two pentecost services um, last year and then this year where we brought all of these congregations together and um, there were so many people that said oh we can't like there's no way there's no way we can make this happen mm. there's just too like too many different people with different expectations and too many language barriers you know all of a sudden I was like no like we if we're gonna be one church we need to at least be able to worship together once like yeah this this has got to happen and mm. um and so I uh, I really I fought for it for about a year and um and finally we you know I just I remember the day we were sitting at the staff table and pastor kind of looks around and he says all right you know what we've been talking about this let's just do it. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Okay. He's like, you know, we'll just, we'll just shoot and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, we'll just know, you know? Yeah. And I was like, okay, thank you. Like, and I, so now I just got to work and for months kind of meeting with the different leaders and, um, you know, kind of basically putting this service together. There's all different kind of worship times. And so we had to kind of settle in on all these logistics, um, we, we decided to, um, to just have all of the spoken moments translated with live translators mm. on stage instead of trying to go the technology route because the technology route was fairly expensive. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and at that time we didn't have the Hispanic kind of group going. And so, um, so we were able to narrow it down to three languages, English, Swahili, and Creole. Wow. And, um, and we did all of the songs in multiple languages. Mm. Um, and I, uh, we had um, leaders, um, you know, musicians and singers from each congregation present in the front of the platform. And... Um, of course we got better. Like the first year was a little rough, um, but it went so well. Everyone loved it so much. Well, I say everyone, most people yeah, <laughs> loved it so much. We did it again the following year. We kind of, you know, tweaked some things and got better, you know, the mm -hmm. next year, um, able to, to even have like certain parts of the songs that were led by, um, you know, uh, 
Haitian Creole led in, in Swahili and, mm. um, and it was so beautiful and there's so much life in it. And, yeah. and just seeing God at work in the midst of unity and diversity. Um, it really, it's really shaped me and shaped my perspectives because in a, in an era where we were so caught up in worship wars, um, I, I'm coming more and more to a realization that really does not matter mm. what the style is. It really doesn't. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't care who you are. <laughs> like, I don't care if you're young or old. Um, if you're, uh, it doesn't matter. They're, at the end of the day, it's a community deciding to be faithful and, um, and deciding together what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and it can be through hymns and hymnals and it can be through, um, through, you know, modern, uh, Hillsong and Bethel music. And it can be, it can be through two hour services or one hour services. It can be, you know, like it, it, it really, like, I think the moment we try to box God in is the moment that he's wanting to break free mm. um, and starts meddling in our plans. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, yeah, so, so I, I've, I've grown to really appreciate where we're at as a church. There's still so far to go, mm-hmm. you know, there's still, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that we still have, you know, some things we need to grow in. Like, um, with the best intentions, sometimes our greeters still greet African American people and 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 show them to the Haitian American service or to the African service without really taking the time, you know. To- <laughs> sure, sure. So there's little things like that, you know, that we still need to grow in and grow in our perspectives. And, and there's really only one way to do that. It's, it's by rubbing shoulders yeah. with, with our fellow believers. I got a call from um, John Kisessa, who is uh, one of the leaders in the African congregation, speaks really great English hmm. and young guy, um, very bright um, and, oh, he's been through it this past year. Um, mm-hmm. he called me at, it was, I think he was one in the morning because, um, because he didn't know what to do. He had been arrested. Um, he had parked on the side of the road to go to work, mm-hmm. kind of a parallel park. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a police officer had pulled up um, and um, told him that he needed to move his car because he was in the middle of the road. Mm. And he looked at him really confused and was like, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm on the side of the road. Yeah. And the police officer repeated himself and said, no, you need to move because you're in the middle of the road. And, and this is where the cultural stuff broke down because you know, if, if John had grown up in the U S he might've known, okay, I don't argue. I just do what I need to do. 
But he started to argue with him. He's like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm parked legally where I'm supposed to be. Like, what is going on? Yeah. And so then the police officer asked him to get out of the car and um, he refused because he said he didn't do anything wrong. And then he pulled him out of the car physically and fell down and doing so hurt his ankle or his leg. And John ran because he was scared. (gasps) I know. Terrible. And, and actually that was one of the things um, pastor looked at him and said, don't ever do that again because your life was at stake in that moment he could have justifiably shot you Mm. and um so so just you know his just his heartbreak as he was processing through kind of the trauma of that Mm. experience because he was then arrested and detained and and um I don't know how long he was there kind of being grilled um but it wasn't pleasant and and he was visit I mean he was yeah it was really really terrifying and I and again it was it was like um it was a moment for me and recognizing okay Lord you've revealed this now what can we do about it (laughs) what does the people of God need to say about these kinds of things like that um you know, John is a a beautiful man of God. Yeah. And, uh, skin color doesn't change that. Yeah. Um, we're all people of God that deserve, um, our humanity and our respect. And, um, and so it, you know, finding ways to be able to speak in, I, it was soon after that I, um, shared, his story briefly with our choir and um and asked for prayer for him because he was going through some legal battles now mm. and luckily I mean, we were able to get him connected to an attorney um who uh who was doing a really great job and um there's some hope there and all that stuff um but uh but i asked for prayer for this this young man and the, the choir, I could tell there was some of the choir members that were there with me and they were nodding their heads and just kind of brokenhearted. And then there were some choir members that were struggling. You know, they were kind of looking at me confused and they're like, they're like, well, he must have done something wrong mm. for a police officer to antagonize him like that. Mm. They kept asking me that and asking me that. And I said, no. No, he he did nothing wrong. Yeah. And and just for them to get their minds around that, mm-hmm. I think was also a, such a powerful moment um, of discipling that I felt privileged to be a part of. Yeah. And helping people see there is a reality that some people live in that is wrong. And what can we say? And what can, how can we be a part of change mm-hmm. um, culturally and societally? Um, and then I could go into all kinds of things with our, our homeless brothers and sisters. And um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I feel like the church loses its way when it, our gatherings become only about us mm-hmm. and not about um, the mission that God has for 
the world. Mm. And That's such a good word. Yeah, and and I've been challenged by that because so many of our worship songs are around us. They're around, thank you, God, for redeeming me. They're around, Jesus, we love you. Like, you have saved us. And, and that's wonderful. And that's great. And we need to continue telling that good news in mm. our midst. But, but where are the songs that are saying things like, God, help us to see the brokenness that you want us to see. God, help us to know how to speak love into lies. Yeah. God, you know, where, where, are the, where are the songs that are calling people into action? And I know there's, there's, there's plenty out there, yeah. but I just don't see that happening quite as much mm. in our churches. And, um, and it's really just been something I've been wrestling with, to be mm. honest. I, just a sense of where where does justice have its day in our community gatherings? Yeah. Um, uh, because it, it's equally a part of God's heart. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I see, I see the stagnancy that happens in the church. Um, and I really think that that's a huge part of that stagnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when all you have is yourself to look at, there's, there's no, there's nothing to drive you. There's nothing to give you a new energy and an excitement and a passion. Mm. Um, and so that would be kind of my, my heart right now for the church of the Nazarene is where, and what ways are we seeking to see beyond ourselves, beyond our, beyond our communities to beyond, beyond the, the needs that, that we have, which are important. Mm. Um, but also seeing into what God has to show us about the very broken places in mm. our world. Mm. Um, well, where, think, do, where do you feel like you're landing in there? I mean, if, if, a, if another worship pastor, you know, a young clergy person leading worship at a church early in their ministry comes to you and says, how, how do I help my church have a gathering that is a gathering of us, but not about <laughs> just us? What, what do you yeah. say to that person? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I think that I've, I've been really profoundly shaped by, um, being intentional. So intentionally including prayers that are for other places and other people, Mm intentionally including songs that are about a sense of action or calling Mm. that are kind of, I guess they use the word inward and outward focused. Mm. Um, uh, Being intentional about what kinds of stories are told on the platform. You know, it just every so often there's stories told about, about how, uh, God is at work in a country across the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, how God is at work um, through this ministry that somebody has started in the church, Cheryl's List. Um, mm. And it doesn't, again, I don't think it needs to just be everything. There needs to always be a balance 
um, because there there is a sense in which the people of God are gathered to edify each other as well. So mm. there, you know, there's a both and there's yeah. there's a healthiness I think that you can find in a balance of, um, you know, there's one song that I've really loved recently that's called "By Our Love" by it was um, done by Christy Knuckles. I think of the words um, of the the chorus, the time is now, come church arise, love with his hands, see with his eyes, bind it around you, let it never leave you, and they will know us by our love. Like mm-hmm. finding finding moments like that to, to be able to share as a community of faith and, and to tell the stories of how God is at work or how you're being challenged about even perspectives. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's a very good answer cause I'm still on this journey <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to figure out what that looks like. Um, you know, and in some ways I think it looks a lot like what our history has been in the church of the Nazarene, you know, our, our church national first church of the Nazarene was built through kind of, um, camp meeting approach that you know mm-hmm. he's just mm-hmm. preaching on the street corners and to people that were kind of the undesirables of the day and uh and they started coming to know the lord um so i you know there's there's a sense you know if we can kind of grab get that part of our our heritage back yeah a little bit more and yeah hold it a little bit closer yeah well, um, let me ask you, Andrea, the, the last question I ask everybody to unpack is um, what gives you hope for the future of the Church of the Nazarene and what is keeping you here? Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if this sounds too trite, but I guess my hope is that Jesus is alive and he's well and alive. Hmm. And as long, as long as that is the truth that we stand on, there's always, God's always going to be at work. The question is, are, are we going to be a part of that? So I think so. I mean, I, I think God's always going to be calling people out. He's always going to be drawing people to himself. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing, I mean, scripture says um, the gates of hell will not prevail. So I, I think, I think, uh, I think the victory is already ours. Mm. Um, it's just, uh, are we going to be a part of that? So. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. if somebody say young worship pastor wants to get a hold of you and brainstorm and, and hear more about your story, where could they reach you? How could they find you? Um, I guess, uh, they can shoot me an email at a Garcia at nfcn.org. I'm kind of an oddball in that I really don't use social media at all. I'm, <laughs> I just find it to be really draining sometimes. Yeah. That <laughs> um, makes sense. Yeah. So I, I mean, I would love to get in touch with people. I just, yeah, just shoot me an email and then I can reach back out and uh, go from there. So that's great. We'll put that in the show yeah. notes so people can track you down. Awesome. Well, yep. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It was an honor.